It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how you played yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby, this is why Blank lost. Welcome to this week's edition of Why Blank Lost. I'm David Bloomberg, and I sent the text to my co-host Jessica Lewis while Survivor was on this week. Jessica, do you want to tell everyone what it said? The text that you sent me? Boy, now yes. this is a test. I wasn't prepared for this. Well, you're supposed to be prepared for anything. I, I guess so. Jeez, I have to go back and look now. During... Well, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. Can... It said another big scene for Jamal. Oh, really? That's what we're going to start the podcast at bragging is that what you're doing well not yet but yeah oh listen okay yes jamal had another big scene your winner pick had another big scene my winner pick went home second i realize i'm terrible at this you're much better at it and okay we it's it's out there the world now knows jamal's gonna win (laughs) at least according to the way the edit is working yeah, I mean, we've seen edits before where there were big scenes that didn't end up uh, uh, turning into a win. Uh, there was one on on uh, your season with Zeke and Brett, mm-hmm. for example, um, and obviously neither of them won. Right. But I so. understand sometimes it, it has a benefit for the story. And I think that it, that benefited our season story and it carried into, I think, the next season as well, because Zeke played a second time. Right. And I'm sure that there is a reason for these very incredible Jamal scenes with music laid over them. And and it is really, I mean, it's great content. But yes, it's very clear that Jamal is getting some extra attention for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it also, it was an amazing series of scenes with Jamal and Jack because it was both interesting and important to yeah. see that discussion play out on TV as opposed to the way survivor sister show big brother handles issues like this by casting racists and then trying to cover it up yeah and i do i do appreciate the way that survivor handled this conversation as for his finding of an idol i think that was a little overplayed considering <laughs> you know it really the the music and how much time and i again he's a he's a great storyteller and a great narrator but yeah, that was a little bit much. But this this definitely had some feels, and I and I understand why they wanted to include this. And I think it's a necessary thing that survivors should be addressing and dealing with. And like you said, other reality shows, they don't handle it so well. Right. They right. cut but, the camera you know, and go to another angle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, but but Survivor has had some amazing casting ever since the beginning, mm-hmm. and uh, not to bring down the uh, star of the podcast here, but. I do want to uh, mention for anyone who didn't know that, unfortunately, Rudy from season one passed away yesterday. I know. And that's very sad. Yeah, we'll all miss him. Um, You know, I got to meet him a couple of times. I have a few pictures of him from the uh, 
the, actually from Rob Sestranino's Amazon finale. Uh, so that was uh, a long time ago. Nice. And um, uh, so, yeah, we will uh, we will all miss him and condolences to his family. Absolutely. He was such an incredible survivor component, if you will. Like just it's something about Rudy is is has never been seen again. And he's such an individual right. that you just have such an appreciation for how he played the game and and what he brought to it. I everything about Rudy was impressive and it was great to see him play again. Everything that that man has done in his life is impressive. So it only makes sense that he was an impressive survivor player as well. Yep, yep. So, all right, uh moving on from that to uh something that uh is slightly less depressing uh was our predictions. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we, we, we didn't get it right again. No. We were so sure that new Vokai wouldn't lose a challenge and they did, uh, you know, Dean was finally able to show his basketball skills among other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it, at least I was right about the rocks discussion happening before the challenge, uh, because, you know, by the time the real discussions were occurring, Elaine and Elizabeth will, were able to turn the tide with Elaine's advantage, of course. Right. Now the show kept us on edge and, We'll talk later about why Aaron and Missy decided to stick with Elaine and Elizabeth as we go through uh, the rules and uh, evaluate how Jason did. Uh, as always, we'll use all the information available, not just from what we saw on TV, but also interviews and clips from CBS All Access, plus the return of the Twitter press conference mm -hmm. as I asked Jason some questions and got some additional information that hadn't come up in interviews. Uh, as a reminder, uh, anyone, if they want to follow along, can find the latest version of my rules at robhasawebsite.com slash blog slash survivor rules. And or there is also a colorful one, right? Yes, yes. That's what I was just about to say. <laughs> uh, and you can find that at uh, tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. And it is also on Rob has a website on his Rob has a podcast. I should say it's on his page as well. And you can click on it right there. It will actually bring you to the eBay page if you would like to order a poster. So please do. Quantities are lessening every single day. Thank you to everyone who has already purchased a poster. We do appreciate the support. And really, Eric did an amazing job designing this poster. It's really incredible. So buy it, love it, frame it, hang it. And then you can study all of the rules in your spare time. That's right. Now, before we get into those rules, though, uh, there are a couple more things to discuss. One is that Jason planned to tell his fellow players that he was the manager of an umbrella manufacturing company, which is actually related to his wife's job. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about how that went later. But I think the important question is whether his wife's company made the five dollar umbrella that you got in New York. Oh, my word. If they did. I love them so much. That was the greatest purchase I have ever made downpour torrential rain someone just happened to be standing there selling umbrellas for five dollars right outside of penn station i was like thank you very much and yes so if they did produce those great it wasn't an incredibly well-made umbrella but it kept me dry so <laughs> i am very very pleased and it is now in the back of my car so thank you if they did produce that umbrella okay we'll have to get detective dean on that case oh right he apparently he wants to play detective so i think that's a good idea yes now, 
Uh, as the second thing, I believe you wanted to talk about a discussion that you started on Twitter regarding and uh, with some of this season's players, and especially that tribal council. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe Tommy didn't really seem to appreciate my tweet here, but I told him I was going to address it, and so I will. After that crazy tribal council that we all loved so much, and I can't wait to talk about it. Well, all but Jason. And that is true, and I'm sorry, Jason. I, I understand you were you were the one that fell prey to an advantage, and that's horrifying, but we're going to talk about that. But I did post on Twitter that uh, you can't walk into tribal council peacocking and then feel insulted or betrayed when you get played. And I did give credit to Rob saying suck it up, buttercup, even though it was Elaine that said it first. So I'm sorry, Elaine, you deserve props for that. But I just wanted to explain a little bit what that meant, because people seem to be really interested in that uh, discussion and involved in it on Twitter is that I there was something kind of uncomfortable about the approach that the Vokai were taking. And it, and I, I, I have to kind of I have to kind of come at it from two two angles, if you will. I appreciate the fact that the Vokai were standing strong and wanting to be together and showing a united front. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I felt like it was a little bit too much that they were doing that and really kind of trying to draw in the Laro people by telling them you've got no other option. There's more Vokai than there is Laro. You have to join us. We're more willing to go to rocks, kind of beating their chest a little bit. Like you have to join us because we have the numbers and you need to become a Vokai. And then you can show your loyalty to us. Really kind of putting Laro in their place that you have to flip. We can't flip. And using the argument, the reason why they can't flip is because there's more Vokai and then they're going to be a flipper and then they're going to get voted out first. I thought it was interesting that they actually went down that path, like explaining why we can't flip because then we'll be targeted. But we want you to flip, even though that could create a target on you. So I just thought it was an interesting approach. And then once they realized that this wasn't going to work for them anymore and that suddenly Elaine had the upper hand and Laro had the upper hand, then it was like very upset, crying, like just kind of broken hearted people. And I understand there's a lot of emotion going on in tribal council, but I, I think we need to appreciate the approach that Elaine took in this situation. And this is just my opinion. It might not matter and people might not agree and that's fine. But Elaine was very kind of calm throughout tribal council. She was making her points. She was saying her piece. And then when she actually went to play the advantage, she apologized. She actually said, I'm sorry to do this, but this is what I'm doing. I'm playing this advantage. And I thought it was just such an interesting approach because she's not, she's not, I'm going to use the word again, peacocking. She's not acting like, look at me, I'm going to knock you down and I'm going to take one of you out. She told Jason, we can still be friends. She was very humble about the whole thing. And I just feel like if you're going to go into it with that kind of gusto and that kind of strength, if somebody outplays you, you, sh you should appreciate the play a little bit more and, and have more respect for the play as opposed to then trying to act like you've been defeated and you're, and, and calling out other people don't trust Aaron. I don't know. There was just something about it I didn't like. You should just appreciate the move and be like, wow, we totally got outplayed instead of turning it into this like 
crying and upset moment that you now want sympathy for when you walked in there acting all big and look at me. I don't, that was my take on it. I don't know if that makes sense, but that was my take. It makes sense. But I do think we have to remember that uh, although we, we uh, may not always treat them as such, these people are human. Um, and uh, I can certainly see, you know, walking into something and, uh, you know, being sure that you you've got the advantage, not the advantage, but, you know, the upper hand. Um, and then suddenly having the rug pulled completely out from under you mm-hmm. it is not easy to turn around and just say, uh, in, in the words of uh, Richard Hatch on All Stars, I've been bamboozled. Right. You know, uh, it, it's I mean, it, yeah, sometimes you can. But, you know, in a situation like that where you are certain that you know how things are, are going to go down and as we'll discuss in a few minutes, you've prepared and you've thought out almost all of the possibilities. And then this one comes in out of complete left field. You know, I'm I'm sure that, uh, you know, it hurts. And I, I would expect that people like Tommy uh, and. Uh, well, obviously, you know, Jason isn't in the game anymore, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but, you know, uh, Tommy and the rest will uh, will recover. I mean, yes, in the moment, I think they were probably very upset and uh, understandably so. But uh, we'll, we'll see how they recover. To me, that's what will be the key is what happens at the beginning of this next. episode. Oh, sure. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having an emotional response. And that's what I wanted Tommy to understand. In that moment, there is a lot of emotion that is happening. And and I I totally understand it. And as someone who sat through a tribal council where there was a potential rock draw, which turned into a rock draw, like I I get it. I understand the posturing and wanting to take a position. And I should have taken a stronger position during that tribal council. And then maybe someone else would have flipped. Yeah. And and that's that's something I will always revisit. So it's not bad that they want to approach it that way i just thought it was interesting that it was such a a, it was just so like the stark contrast of how they walked in versus how they were then handling it when they realized that they weren't in control it was just an interesting juxtaposition i guess just looking at it and the way that they were handling it because it it is a game that you have to outwit and outplay and they walked in thinking that Elaine couldn't outwit them and couldn't outplay them. And she did. And she deserves some credit for that. But yes, in the moment, I get it. So they they might not be like, hey, you got one over on us again. Don't expect them to. But I just thought it was so interesting to see how quickly it all shifted. Yeah. And I will say there is a little bit. I don't know if I would go so far as to call it hypocrisy, but that they were actually planning on voting out Aaron. Yes. But then they got mad when Aaron flipped on them. Yes. Or didn't yes. flip with them. Um, so I do think what Jason said at the end uh, was more, uh, well, he said in interviews, you know, that there was a reason that he said that. It wasn't just anger. But the look on Tommy's face, mm-hmm. oh, that was pure anger through and through. Absolutely. If anyone ever, If anyone ever looks at you that way, run the other direction. Oh, yeah. 100%. He was, he was very angry. Can you imagine a teacher looking at you that way in class? Oh, my. God. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. And there's Your a lot. I mean, just stop looking at me. Yes. I mean, there's a lot to process there, obviously. And I could keep standing on my soapbox and talking about it. But I, I do just feel like they had 
They did have an incredible plan. When I was reading the exit interviews and they were talking about how the vote was going to potentially go and then Elaine played the advantage. So clearly they were playing chess and they had all of their moves lined up. But unfortunately, Survivor is a game that you can't always predict everything. And clearly you can't predict someone is going to have this advantage and block a vote. But yes, you have to also be mindful that the people still sitting there are people that you are going to have to go back to camp with and people that you're going to have to play with and people that you're going to have to hope will take you in considering now you're in the minority. And that's the part of it that I feel like oftentimes we see survivors and tribal council forget that in the moment, yes, there's a lot happening, but you got to learn to eat crow and because you got to go back to camp with these people and you're going to have to make nice as frustrating as it might be and as angry as you might be, you have to continue to play this game with them. And so that's why sometimes you have to keep your emotions in check just because that's the way the game goes. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll stop. All right. I'll get off my soapbox. All right. Okay, now that now that we have that all addressed, we can move on to the questions of the hour. Uh, many have said that Jason was voted off because he got screwed by the vote blocking advantage, and we obviously can't ignore that. Uh, but there were three other original Vokai who weren't voted off, so we still need to determine why he was the chosen one. Jason has been listening to this podcast for years, and uh, we even exchanged a few tweets about Ghost Island and David versus Goliath including one where he said the analysis is always perfect. So we know he's smart. (laughs) Um, I said in our preview podcast that the rules he planned to follow sounded a lot like my rules. And he even essentially called out the sixth rule in his last words by saying he probably was voted out because he was too big of a threat. Was he right? Or was there more to it? It's time to do a perfect job of figuring out why Jason lost. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) All right, we are going to do things a little differently this time and start with the second rule instead of the first. And that's because this rule says not to scheme and plot too much. And Jason had a problem of his own making here from the get-go, so I kind of wanted to address things chronologically. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense because he really did put himself in a bit of a pickle right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So coming into the game, uh, Jason said that being a Jewish personal injury attorney from New York was not the most likable type of personality. So he was planning to pretend to have his wife's job, you know, like we discussed earlier. But he said in interviews that when he tried to give the fake job as people were introducing themselves, he fumbled his explanation and everyone immediately knew he was lying. Oi, mm. all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, Jessica. I know you also lied about your job Mm -hmm. as an attorney, as did Chris on your season. But this brings up the question of whether it's worth the risk. Is it better to be a lawyer than a liar? Well, you got to have your story straight and you have to be able to sell it. That's what it boils down to. I think it's better to be a really good liar as opposed to being a lawyer, just because we see how this show uh, treats people based on perception, right? And people have perceptions of lawyers. And so going out there and just kind of owning the fact that you're a lawyer might not bode well. I went out there and I said I was a photographer and I had a whole backstory because I used to actually be a photographer at a studio. So I was able to sell that story because it was true to me. It wasn't something I was completely making up. Now, I like the fact that he tried to adopt what his wife does because obviously he has familiarity with that. But you have to know how to sell it. 
And he's a lawyer, for God's sakes. He should be able to sell it. Isn't that what lawyers do? So, I mean, Chris was very, very aware of this, too, and had a great story as well. And his made sense. And Brett also lied about his profession and said that he was a mortician, of all things, and not a police officer, which we found out later. And I I always kind of scratched my head about that because I'm like, you're a mortician. You seem to like, I don't know, he was very like jovial and happy and um, but that's what he went with and he was able to sell it. Although some people did pick up on the fact that they thought he was a cop later on uh, in the season. But I say all of that because if you are going to do this, if you're going to go on Survivor with a backstory and it's a lie, you better be able to sell it because if you don't, that's what happens. And that's a really bad way to start out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. So so he started out that way and then he had another early problem. But this one was outside of his control, which was that people took one look at him and assumed he would be a big schemer like Stephen Fishback, mm-hmm. including even those on the other tribe who didn't know about his job lie. Uh, in his pregame interviews, he said he had the nerdiness and anxiety of Stephen, but looked like Rob. So I, I guess he looks more like Stephen than he realized. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that we can just blame. Stephen for this one. We can just yeah. say it was his fault. Blame Fishback. <laughs> it was Fishback's fault. Sorry, Jason. Yeah. That's what happened. That's too bad. So, yeah. But, you know, despite what happened right out of the gate and the way his appearances contributed, once his game got going, he seemed to work actively to avoid being seen as an over-schemer kind of for the long term. And as far as keeping his scheming secret, he knew about that, too, because we can't forget how good a job he did of telling Nora don't dance. No dancing. Yes. Uh, so so as not to give away what was going on at that Molly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I do think that he did a good job at realizing what he had done to himself and kind of the way that he was going to be perceived. He talked about it in his pregame interviews that he was very concerned about the perception that people were going to have of him based upon how he comes across and he talked to his family members about how he should be. And that's where the shut the heck up strategy came from. So he was, he was very aware of these things about himself, but unfortunately you can only control so much. And if they're finding out immediately that you're lying to them, and if they are immediately making determinations about you based upon how you present yourself and they're comparing you to Fishback, you're in a bad place. And then you turn into the idol hunter on day one. So all bad. Yeah. yeah. Now that was day one. Yes. But uh, as we, as we head into the first rule here, it takes us nicely because he was trying to overcome his early situation. And of course the first rule talks about the need to scheme and plot. And while the edit didn't show a whole lot of Jason strategizing, it's pretty clear to me that he was doing well in this regard after that day one rough start. Molly said in her post-game interviews that Jason wasn't on the outs after day three, and he was magnificent in going around and apologizing and connecting with every single person. Mm-hmm. She said after having those conversations, everyone wanted to work with Jason, including herself. Now, Jason himself said in his day after video that he dug himself out of a hole and established himself in the tribe, uh, something he echoed in his own post-game interviews. We'll talk about it more in the fifth rule, but I, I think this is a lesson that every potential survivor player should learn just yeah. because you're on the outs at the start doesn't mean you'll stay that way. If you put in some sincere effort, 
And, you know, it might be a lesson that someone like Karishma could have used at the time. Yeah. I mean, he it was interesting, too, because his pregame interviews going into uh, how he was going to approach the game. He thought that he would put that social was more important than strategy. But then once he started playing the game, he thought strategy was more important than social Mm -hmm. and then realized that, oh, no, social really was more important. And so he kind of created this whole whirlwind for himself where he did have to go and make amends. And. That's one of the biggest moves I think you can do on Survivor is when you own it. And he went to everybody and said, I'm sorry about the, what I was doing. Uh, and, you know, th- this and I, it was very reminiscent for me of David because David did the same thing on my season and um, was the first day idol hunting kind of a little. um he was very nervous. He had a lot of nervous energy, made people a little uncomfortable, which is how he was acting. and he had to go around and kind of try to make amends with people because he was that person that we were looking at thinking, man, he's a little shady. Something's going on. We think he was idle hunting. So the fact that Jason was able to overcome that, it really does speak volumes to how he was processing the game in his head and figuring out how to fix things. Because I do think that sometimes people think once you end up in a particular place in this game, it's very, very difficult to fix it. And it is. But you can fix it. And Jason is a perfect example of someone who fixed it. Right. And so then after those conversations that, you know, we just talked about, well, how do we know that he succeeded in in turning this game around? Well, you know, Jason has mentioned that he was more strategic that he saw than than we saw. Sorry. And this was one area where, as I mentioned earlier, I reached out to Jason on Twitter and asked him a few questions. He pointed out how there were hints of his strategy on the show, even if it wasn't really blatantly uh, put across. For example, Jamal commented that Jason was playing perfectly from the bottom. Janet talked about how Jason would be uh, good with the Molly vote. Lauren came to him with a plan and so on, not to mention that they were all comfortable enough with him that they chose him as the caller in the blindfold challenge Mm -hmm. when they sat Nora and of course, none of the other original Vokai ever considered flipping on him at that 4-4 Tribal Council. He right. also told Mike Bloom that he had spent his entire game gaining credibility as the quote-unquote stable one and the one who was going to be there when they needed votes or had an emotional moment. He said he became a bit of an epicenter, a stable voice. So he had certainly reintegrated himself. Yes. And he he also, I think, gained more credit for himself and how he handled the Molly vote because he did put himself out there even during tribal council to kind of draw some attention to himself in an attempt to make Molly feel more comfortable. And he did that in hopes of gaining favor with the people that he was voting with so they would know I'm with you and I'm supporting this. And so I do think that he really did a great job in understanding what his new role was playing from the bottom. And how to fix it. And we clearly saw him do a great job at it, considering where he then ended up in that tribe. Yeah. And uh, then as we move forward to this tribal council, as part of my Twitter discussion with him, he noted something that never made the show or came up in interviews, which was how he was so integrated that as they got back from the Applebee's reward, he started preparing his group for a rock drop. Uh, He also Mm -hmm. mentioned in his Entertainment Weekly interview that he had to get the others in his group to basically come to the idea and be comfortable with the fact that they might have to draw a rock. And and from his own standpoint, 
he told me that he himself was weirdly comfortable with it because he knew his allies weren't flipping under any scenario. He also figured he would be the target of the original Lero, and we'll get to that later as to why, but that would mean a rock draw would actually keep him safe. I know, this guy's a genius! So good. So, now, yeah, if I remember right, on your season, David did a lot of work preparing you guys for a rock draw, and I think Zeke did similarly for his alliance, right? I think Zeke did a lot more work on preparing everybody for a rock draw. I think that we were really hoping that Will was going to end up voting with us. So I don't think that there was as much preparation on our side because there was kind of a hope that Will was going to flip. But I think Zeke was very steadfast with with his people and getting them to all agree that this is what we're going to do, that we are going to go to rocks. And it, it, yeah, I mean, it's a great move for Zeke because obviously it kept Zeke in the game. Right. And it would have been a great move here for Jason because it would have kept Jason in the game. So it's, it's a very interesting approach now to the game because I feel like very recently the rock draw has become a strategy and it really is something that people talk about and people consider. And before our season, I know that there were two other rock draws, but they were different scenarios, if you will. Um, I, I don't think that you really heard people talking about this. It was always like, we're not going to rocks. No, you know, nobody wanted to go to rocks. Now it does seem like a strategy and it was a strategy that Jason clearly was mindful of. And of course, he's comfortable with it, because if he does think that he's the target, then he will be safe. And then he puts one of one of his people on the line, but he gets to stay in the game. So the fact that he was able to convince everyone that this is what was going to happen, that's really significant. And I think it speaks volumes to how he has an ability to reach people and explain things. And it brings me back to what Prope said about him in his pregame interviews, is that he always felt like he was being heard. When he talked to Jason, so clearly Jason has a great ability to connect with people. And he did there because he convinced them to go to rocks. Right. And, you know, from the original Vokai's standpoint, the situation, while similar to yours, it wasn't quite as dire as your own. No, as it we wasn't. Discussed as, as recently as last week. And certainly as I went over with Rob and why Jessica lost at the time. But. They knew that flipping would put any of them at the bottom of another alliance. So if drawing a rock was the other option, they would have chosen that. And, you know, for Jason in particular, he noted in interviews that he was swapped with three of his four top allies and couldn't flip on them because he needed them going forward. Right. Now, the other thing is, you mentioned that since your season, more of a strategy. See, I think you're just a trendsetter. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> I, I think everyone wants to be like you. And they figured, well, Jessica got rocked out and she's on a podcast now. So, you know, it must not be that. Well, bad. see, it can all work out for you. You might not get a million dollars, but you get a podcast with David Bloomberg. So that's, that's right. worth a million dollars, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I, yes, I really least, do. I really do feel like. It is uh, a much different approach, this whole idea of the rock draw. And I do think that it's interesting in looking at uh, Jason's position, because the other component that he had, which he was mindful of, was the idea that, I mean, Aaron was coming to him with information and Missy as well. And they were very quick in their desire to vote out Elaine. They were very quick in their willingness to flip. They were very quick in their offering up a sacrificial lamb. And Jason knew because of that, 
well, then maybe Elaine being voted out is beneficial to their games. So what's the other play? So his brain was really looking at all the various angles. Like, okay, if we go to rocks and if I'm the target, I'm safe. So good there. But if I'm able to flip Aaron, then um, we can make him vote for Elaine. We make Missy vote for Elaine, but we get rid of Aaron. And then Missy has to come back. And now she's in a bad place with Elaine. Plus, we got Aaron out of there. He was really looking at this from every angle but he also had the ability to do that i think because everybody was talking to him so he had put himself in such a central center central role i guess in that tribe that it really benefited his ability to strategize in every which direction except the advantage component of it <laughs> so there's right that. and and you know you say he was central but there was one thing that was missing and as he said in interviews he didn't have enough of a conversation with elaine or elizabeth mm-hmm. And he admitted this was probably one of his faults in the game. You know, he, he just didn't see a reason to speak to them at that time, knowing that his group already had not one, but two potential flippers in Aaron and Missy. Right. Uh, Jason told Rob that he didn't want to be seen spending too much time with the Leros because he already had that old sneaky reputation and didn't want to risk looking like he might be the one considering flipping uh, added to this. Jason told me on Twitter that his fault lay in not showing the original Lero that there was value in keeping him around while the other three original Vokai made those connections. Now, I, I already knew about two of them, but didn't know about Dan. So that's certainly interesting. Mm-hmm. And again, part of this was his precarious position that I just mentioned, which put him into an interesting balancing act, you know, because we always say you should make allies wherever you can. But we also warn against scheming too much. Since he had worked hard to get rid of that scheming too much label, he didn't want it reapplied, which contributed to not really connecting with the original Lero. Right. Yeah. There's a lot happening there, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, in his defense on this point, he probably figured he'd be okay given the circumstances as he knew them. Yes. Including that original plan to vote out Aaron. Yes. And further fracture the Lero. And the fact um, that they even did build into the plan that if Elaine played an idol, they had a different target. Like, yes, it's going to be Elaine. That will be our target unless she doesn't have an idol or she does have an idol. Then it's going to be Aaron if she doesn't have an idol. To be. So they, they really did even try to be mindful of what did she possibly come back from the island with? And they all thought it would be an idol. So the fact that she didn't have it and then they went to the other plan really did show that there were multiple level levels that were being considered. And I think he was, he was a big part of kind of figuring all of that out. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be clear, it was Aaron all the way idol or not. I think they only flipped. They only changed what they were planning on doing because she had that advantage and they hoped they could get Aaron on board. Right. Because now that they were getting a vote blocked. Yes. But, um, but yeah, you know, the, he had all those thoughts, except like I said, the, the part about dealing with the original Lero and, you know, overall, he told me he was more concerned with keeping his alliance strong and preparing them for the next strategic step. Yeah, I mean, and I I do think that he he handled it in a way that made sense, because like you said, he did have Missy. He had Aaron. So he did have a lot of information coming to him from that camp. 
So it could really present itself as being problematic. If he had started approaching Elizabeth and Elaine, maybe Aaron would have gotten frustrated or Missy would have gotten frustrated. Like, why are you going and talking to them? Because maybe you're going to throw us under the bus and then you potentially destroy the relationships that you've been building with Aaron and Missy. So it makes sense to kind of limit how far your tentacles are reaching out because you don't want to have any negative impacts being created, even if that wasn't what the goal was. Right, right. So kind of, you know, uh, wrapping up this rule, he said in interviews that due to his poor start, he was forced to play the game within the first 15 minutes, which he didn't want to do. Because of that, from day one to 16, he had to play the game hard, which doesn't mean being the person who's making all the calls and the moves like Aaron and Missy on the other side. But it's constantly checking in with people, making sure that the target isn't on you, which is something, of course, we have repeatedly advised in this rule. Mm hmm. Uh, Jason added to me on Twitter that he had everything thought out and thought through aside from the one thing that could have beaten him in that situation. Mm, That damn advantage. Yep, that damn advantage. (laughs) All right. Well, before we go on to the rest of the rules, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, if there are any in your area. If not, we'll be back even quicker. And we're back. So let's go on to the third rule which talks about being flexible. Now, how do you think Jason did here? Oh, my God. Didn't we just talk about that for like 10 minutes? <laughs> well, in, in a way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he really he even though he went in with an idea and a plan of how he was going to play, he even talked about in his exit interviews. And I thought it was it was kind of touching about the the effect that playing this game actually has on you as a human being, because you realize that you might want to go into this game planning to cut people's throats and I'm going to be really strategic. And then you realize there's this emotional element to it and there's people that you're playing the game with. And so he quickly had to rework his strategy and rework how he was going to play this game. So he is incredibly flexible in his ability to change up his approach and also reconnect with people who he didn't connect with and create relationships with people that he had kind of mm, created a bad relationship at first but then turned it into a really great relationship and and he did say that he was very close with tommy they were uh, really great friends if you will out there and kelly was like his number one ally so he did really do an excellent job of reworking how he played the game in order to get himself in a better position yeah and uh, you know i think going back to that first day and what happened there uh, you know, he, he could have, after that happened, just tried sticking to his plan of action, even though it caused him problems right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But he was smart enough not to do that. Mm-hmm. He immediately altered course to get himself back in everyone's good graces. And in his day after video, he said he felt like he had his finger on the pulse of the entire game and was getting information from every source, which is the hallmark of following this rule. It's practically a direct quote from this rule. Mm-hmm. We might say that Jason needed to be more flexible in terms of finding a way to get in good with the original Lero on on his tribe, such that he would have been thought of as a possible ally rather than a target. But we've really already just addressed that. So there were lots of reasons why he couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So, all right, well, let's let's head to the fourth rule then, which tells players not to let their emotions control them. And Jason came into the game saying he was playing to win. And if he hurt somebody's feeling, he'd be sorry, not sorry. Uh, You know, he noted after the game, it wasn't so easy once you get in there, like you just talked about. But even with that in mind, 
Jason wasn't really put into any situation where his emotions might take over. Even when it came to the question of flipping on his original Vokai tribemates, he decided against it based on strategy, not emotion. Yes. And I do think in a weird way, when I was looking at some of the things he was saying in his exit interviews, that it was kind of like with this rule, we tell people not to let their emotions control them. But in a weird way, he kind of did let his emotions control him, but in a beneficial way to his game. I mean, he talked about day one happening and being emotionally destroyed. And it got to a point where the game changed me. It became about something different. Sure, I wanted to strategize and cut people's throats, but I very quickly realized that human relationships and connections were more important than strategy. That was something I started to focus on primarily with strategy, with strategy being secondary. I could do all of the strategizing in the world, but playing from the bottom is about connections. So I thought it was really interesting that he did have an emotional response to what happened after day one, but then he used it to benefit himself in the game. So it was, it was interesting that he recognized that, that emotional side of things and, and the effect it was having on him, but he used it to further his game. So I, I thought there was a, a strange kind of opposite effect that we see. Usually when you have an emotional response, it negatively affects you in the game, but he used it to positively benefit himself. Yeah, and that takes us nicely to the fifth rule, which discusses how players should pretend to be nice and play the social game because, you know, it, yeah, I talked earlier, we, we both talked earlier about how it was good strategy to get himself in good, but it really was his social mm -hmm. game that enabled him to accomplish that. You know, he, he took people aside individually. He sincerely apologized. As he said in one interview, I was true, honest, and super vulnerable. That vulnerability opened me up and allowed people to get to know me. It made them think, this guy made a stupid mistake at the beginning, but I kind of like him. I don't want to vote him out. And he seems to like me too. We can vote together. Little by little, the relationship started to build off that reestablished baseline. So that allowed him to make connections with all the Vokais, even if he wasn't strategically aligned with them. Yeah, I do think that his social game ended up taking off in a direction that I don't think anyone really anticipated, considering the start that he had in the game. He was very alienated. And you've already talked about Karishma. And I think the two of them were very similar in how they were not initially connecting with their tribes. And Karishma has done the exact opposite of what Jason did. And she's continued to kind of alienate herself from the group, whereas Jason wanted to be part of the group. He understood that the social dynamics were very integral to him making it further in this game. And he even did talk about, and I've already mentioned in his pregame interviews, how significant the social component was versus being strategic, that that should be more important. So I do think that he recognized how significant those bonds were going to be. And it became so strong for him, if you will, like those bonds that he created that he even thanked them all when he was leaving and, you know, they were going to be friends for life because they didn't turn on him. So I do think that that speaks volumes of how close they all became and, and how he was able to solidify himself with people that initially he was on the outs with. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jason saved himself by using his social game early, but he somewhat put himself into the crosshairs with it later by his own admission. Now we already talked in the first rule about how he didn't reach out to the original Lairo for strategic reasons. Mm -hmm. And he similarly said in his parade interview that maybe he should have been more focused on trying to make human connections with them. But he noted that he was more focused on the strategic situation at that point 
which involved sticking with the original Vokai. So we, we mostly addressed that already, but there is that human connection element as well, but it has the same problem. To make human connections, you have to spend time talking to them, and that was a problem for him at that point. Right. So, all right, we can move to the sixth rule, which warns against being too much of a threat, and this is where what we just finished talking about combines with what we talked about in rules one and two. Yeah, I mean, I do Jason, think... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, Jason said in his final words that he was voted out for being a threat, and he further told me that the reason for them getting rid of him was because he was strategic. And this goes back to the original Lero referring to him as Fishback. He said in his parade interview that Elaine immediately told him that, at the swap, that, that, that he was referred to as Fishback at the swap, and he knew they were already perceiving him as a strategist and potentially targeting him. And then in case there was any doubt, Elaine said on the show that Jason was strategic and really smart. And per his interviews, Tommy and Lauren also told Jason, if they're not, or, yeah, if they're not going to flip, their target is you. Uh, also, remember what I mentioned earlier about how he was preparing his group for the rock draw. That puts him in something of a leadership position among them. And although I'm, I'm sure he was doing that privately, that sort of position can often be seen by others, even if they don't know the detail. Yes. And I do wonder if part of his problem here, if you will, was his relationship with Aaron and Missy. Because Aaron and Missy are playing both sides, right? They're hanging out with Elaine and Elizabeth, and they're all strategizing together. But then Aaron and Missy are also talking to who mostly? That would be Jason. So if Aaron and Missy are trying to figure out how the dynamics of that group work, and they clearly were, because you hear during the episode how they're each kind of talking about how the other person should be voted out or how this person doesn't really benefit their game. So they were they were kind of determining out of the, those four who should be the one person that they want to end up canceling the vote, voting out and doing all of those things with. And I think that perhaps because Jason was strategizing so much with Aaron and with Missy and kind of talking through things with them, that that might have been part of his problem because when Aaron is going back to his group and Missy is going back to the group. And if they're deciding who they're going to cancel a vote for and who they're going to vote out, clearly there was an agreement amongst us four that it would be Jason. So I just wonder if part of what happened here was that Aaron and Missy saw him as a threat because of the relationships that he was creating with them. And maybe that was part of the discussion with Elizabeth and Elaine. Yeah, that definitely could have been. All right, uh, we move to the seventh rule, which covers idols and advantages. And we know that Jason was looking for idols right out of the gate, uh, saying in the first episode, you got to be an idiot not to look for idols. Now, at the time, I appended my own thoughts to his statement, uh, noting that the same sentiment applies to searching for idols, obviously, and separating yourself from your tribe. Mm -hmm. But in Jason's interviews, he said he was really only gone for like 15 minutes. And he wasn't even looking for an idol, but rather was looking for a place to hide some shells that he had found because he wanted to save them for a fake idol later on. It was still idol related, just in a different way. And the other problem is, well, people had no way of knowing that he was off looking in the jungle. Uh, he just wasn't looking for something. He was looking to hide something. Yeah. And that's the, the one thing that when you're playing this game in that first day. Everyone is very aware of where everyone else is because you have only so much space 
and you have things that need to be accomplished. People are building shelters. You're trying to weave palm fronds. You're fixing your camp, trying to build fire. And everyone is very mindful of who's doing what and where people are. And so if you disappear, not only are you not participating in getting the camp ready so you can all live there. They're also wondering, well, what are you doing? If you're not here, what are you off doing? Because there's really not a whole lot to do except maybe go idle hunting or look for coconuts or maybe gather wood. So you have to always be aware that no matter what you're actually doing, again, we've talked about perception and people will perceive that you are off doing something shady or sneaky, even if that's not what you're doing. And even though Jason's story was still idol related, like you said, nobody knew that that's what he was doing. And if they did know, they still wouldn't be any more happy with it because he was planning on making a fake idol. So he's clearly up to no good. So I do think that it's it's just one of those situations that, yes, you would be stupid to not idol hunt, but you also would be stupid to do it in such a way that puts a target immediately on your back, which is what we saw happen to Jason. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess the, the key there is even though you may only think it's 15 minutes, those 15 minutes are big minutes in the eyes of everyone else. Oh, and that was all Dan needed. All Dan needed was to be like, right. anyone know where Jason is? And that's, and once that's out there, it's like, you can't unring the bell, you know, that you've yeah. already been mentioned. People are talking about it. So they're already suspicious of you. And that was all Dan needed was 15 minutes of Jason being gone. And that's it. That's all it takes. Yeah. Now, Jason did manage to unring that bell, as we discussed, but it took quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So it, this leads to the big question in this rule really relates to how he dealt with Elaine's advantage. And I say in the rule that advantages like these are probably, a, probably the trickiest situation. And the fact that they keep changing makes them that much more difficult to predict. Mm -hmm. Now, Jason and company were prepared if Elaine had an idol uh, and it really wouldn't have mattered because they were going to vote out Aaron anyway, or, you know, and so she would have wasted it. But there isn't nearly as much you can do to prepare for an advantage like this, other than working to not be the one who's targeted. And, you know, we've already discussed that. So we can move to Appendix A, which is about the rest of the tribe keeping their end goals in mind when voting. Now, in this case, it wasn't about voting out the weak or the strong but about targeting the person on original Vokai who would be the least helpful to the original Leros and long-term goals, at least once Elaine got the advantage. Now, it's kind of funny that this vote didn't relate to the weak, strong issue, because while, you know, I've mentioned Rob Sesternino never has quite got a handle on that whole weak, strong thing, Jason told me this was something he was thinking about in the game, and it was one reason he didn't want Molly gone in the first vote, but he saw the opportunity in it. And that's a situation where, yeah, a certain opportunity can overcome the, the weak, strong argument. And again, that happened here. You know, Rob said on know-it-alls that he thought Tommy was saved by his relationship with Aaron and Lauren was saved by her relationship with Missy. And Jason looked like more of a threat than Dan, all of which makes sense, especially considered that I mentioned earlier about Jason saying all three of the others made connections to the original Lairo. Mm -hmm. Also, while Elaine, and Tom, while Elaine said Tommy was the biggest threat because he had close ties with everybody, I would say those close ties were almost certainly why the others didn't want to target him because each of them felt like they were connected to him, which will help in the future. Yeah, and I do think when you really start to look at the long game and who is going to be beneficial to you later on, someone who is 
much more strategic and someone who is seems to have more of an understanding of the nuances of the game. Someone who can convince people to go to rocks is not someone that you necessarily want to keep around playing the game against because he clearly is going to be a threat with his ability to strategize and to work with people. So I do think that when you start making those comparisons, Jason was the one that could have negatively affected their ability to move forward as the game moved on just because of how he was playing the game. Right. So um, now we do have to, I think at this point, talk about Aaron since the show made it seem like uh, Aaron might not stay loyal. Indeed, he and Missy were certainly going to flip before they found out about Elaine's advantage. And even after that, we saw confessionals from him suggesting he was still going to flip. But, you know, I noticed we didn't see any from Missy after that point. My read on the situation is that Aaron still wanted to flip, but Missy convinced him otherwise, which also tells me that while both of them are playing very aggressively and have cases of big move-itis, Aaron may have a terminal case, while Missy has a much better sense of the game overall and may be able to recover from her case. Uh, for now, she, ha- she was able to hold him off and uh, put him in a little bit of remission. Yeah, and I did notice and i'm sure other people did too that he rejected jason's pound (laughs) after the vote or like i don't know if it was right before the vote but i think that was pretty telling that he was like yeah no i'm not with you at this point yeah (laughs) even though he did tell tommy that that everything was good so yeah i do think that it was fine for tommy it was fine for tommy right i do think that aaron struggled with this a lot because there is this The way that he's being portrayed is someone who wants to be in the power position, someone who's making the decision, which is exactly how he described himself going into this vote. He's really the one making this decision. But I do think that Missy was probably the one that steered him in the right direction because this was not the time for him to flip this. I think I mean, and I know it's been discussed, but he made the best move for himself moving forward in the game. This was not the the moment to flip on, on his Laro people. So I do think it was probably really hard for him, but the benefits from not flipping certainly outweigh the benefits of having that big move before a merge even happens. Yeah. I think it was hard for him too, because he just wants to make a big move every move. Yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. Terminal case, a big move. Itis. That'll be uh, you know, when we talk about why Aaron lost, that'll probably be a, that'll, it'll be a short cut. All right, but in the meantime, we're ready to wrap up uh, Jason's situation here. So what are your final thoughts? So I think Jason had a very, he was very self-aware going into the game. I mean, he talked about how he can get a little snappy at times. He can talk too much. I can take too much of a leadership role, he said. But one of his goals was to come in and play the shut the heck up strategy, which we did talk about. And it entails not being the leader, sitting back a little bit, not being first for anything, being nice, but not too nice, being helpful with the shelter, but not being too helpful. I think if I can follow the shut the heck up strategy and get past the first two or three votes, I can do pretty well in the game. Looking through that list, I feel like Jason didn't end up doing any of those things. He ended up having to do the exact opposite. Even though he had a plan to come into this game, which was laid out in his shut the heck up strategy, unfortunately, He was the first one to start looking for an idol. He was the first one who was caught in a lie on his tribe. You know, he was the first one who people perceived as a strategic threat because he looked like someone who was a strategic threat fishback. So there was all of these things that made his initial plan impossible for him to carry through. 
And as we talked about, he was able to change things up and did a really great job, actually, in how he then approached the game. He got rid of the shut the heck up strategy, started playing a much more social game, really put himself out there for people to understand and was, you know, emotionally connected to the people in his tribe, which certainly helped his game. It furthered his game, but it also created the leader he didn't want to be. We talked about how he convinced people to go to rocks. That's a true leadership role. And that's something that he didn't want to be seen as was a leader. So I do think that even though he was able to change up his approach by changing up his approach and rebuilding those bonds he had initially hurt in the beginning, then portrayed him as a strategic threat who could potentially do very well in this game and was someone who the Laro people didn't want to keep around because of that strategic mind that he was clearly displaying. So unfortunately for Jason, it wasn't just about the advantage. It was about all of these things kind of coming together. He walked into this game understanding the game of Survivor, understanding how he wanted to play it, and realizing quickly he needed to change his plans. Those plans, unfortunately, though helped him fix components of his game, it ended up hurting other components of his game. And that, unfortunately, is why, in my opinion, he lost. All right. Well. Jason came in, obviously, knowing these rules and made reference to it, at least two of them, in his final words in Day After video. So we're going to take credit for implanting those references into his brain. More importantly, Jason was able to apply the rules once he got into the game. When he accidentally dug himself a deep hole on day one, he worked hard on both the social and strategic fronts to get back in good with his tribe. And he even became a solid ally they could rely on. When it came to the 4-4 vote, he worked until his tribe mates were willing to go to rocks rather than flip. But that work came with a downside. Unlike the other three on New Vokai, he had not made any connections with the original Lero. His reasons were twofold. He was concentrating on keeping his four together strategically for the long-term game and didn't want to risk the progress he'd made by giving the impression, once again, of being too schemy. It was a balancing act and a risk he chose based on the information he had available to him at the time. In many cases, it would have been the right decision, but not this time. In this case, not making those connections compounded with the impression the original Lero already had that Jason was a strategist and therefore dangerous. For that part, he can blame Fishback. Elaine's vote block had the effect of flipping the game around. Jason went from being in a great position to being one of four in danger. The other three had possible connections and uses for the original Lero, while Jason was more worrisome to them. He had charted a path that would have often been a good one, but in this particular case, that path did indeed make him the threat he said he was, both for strategic reasons, as an opponent, and because he was less likely to be a long-term ally. And that is why Jason lost. Fabulous. I, I, you made me giggle. I, I didn't do it out loud, but I like your blame fish back. <laughs> well, Absolutely. <laughs> You want to just jump to the end and then name that as the hashtag now? I was just going to say that. That should just be the hashtag. It's Blame Fishback. <laughs> All right. Everybody hashtag Blame Fishback because <laughs> he won't have any idea what's going on and he'll start seeing these hashtags. He'll be like, what did I do? It'll be so funny. I think that's great. Good plan. All right. So everybody make sure to do. Yes. Um, now, I do want to say before we get to predictions, there was one thing that came up in uh, Jason's interview with Rob. This was an exclusive he gave to Rob. 
And it didn't come up in our discussion of the rules, but I do want to just bring it up because people might be saying, well, why wasn't it brought up? And that was that, you know, on night one, when he realized he was in trouble, he stayed up all night talking to Nora. And he told Rob on the interview that he found out, they found out later that he had dated Nora's cousin in college. Yeah. And so, you know, my first question was, it sounded to me like he said that was on day three or four. So I double checked with Jason and uh, wanted to make sure to clarify that the timing of the finding was after the two of them had already bonded. So first he made an ally of her and it wasn't that connection that brought them together. So because of that, it really didn't come into play like in any of the rules anywhere because it was just something interesting that happened after, you know, he had already formed a relationship. It's a small but I did world. want to mention it. Yes. Yes. Lots of uh, ex-boyfriends and girlfriends in this uh, in this season. Apparently, yes. So, so anyway, um, but okay. Just like I said, just wanted to bring that up in case anyone was wondering. Well, why didn't you bring that up? That's why. Now we can move on to your favorite part: predictions. I don't have any. And you don't have any. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. I'm so bad at this. No, I like wrote some names down, and I, oh, you know, I should just ask the magic eight ball or something. Oh my! Um, I mean, you know, it, you gave you gave the same prediction as me last time. So, well, here's here's what we do know, and this is the part that always throws me off: the preview where Jeff Probst is saying nothing like this has ever happened ever in a tribal town. I call I call BS. And well, that's you know, and that's I'm like trying to parse through in my head what haven't we seen? You know, what is the? And there was only one thing that I could come up with that. That I was like, oh, well, I don't think we've actually seen that. And that's the, let's see, we have Nora, Kelly, Jack, Jamal, Dean, and Karishma left, right? Yeah. So if they go to tribal council, and we have in the, one of the previews, Nora's talking about the girls need to come together. Um, and I, we know that Dean and Jamal have been talking about Nora and how she's kind of messing things up. But wouldn't it be interesting if, because we know that there's an idol, that Jamal has an idol, and Kelly has mm -hmm. an idol, and maybe both idols get played at the same time and cancel out, you know, the two people that we're going to vote for. But you think it'll be a zero-zero vote? But we haven't seen that, right? Yeah. I mean, if he's being honest, that's true. I just figure it's usually, it's one of those things where Jeff forgets that we've seen this before, and he just says... Oh, I, you know, we've, we've never had a tribal council like this. And maybe, and, I mean, it could be, it could be anything, you know, where, I mean, let's face it, any tribal council that Nora is in, they've never had a tribal council. <laughs> and that is true. You know, you know, she could get up and start dancing. She might, you know, she laughed you know, for no reason. In the last right, one. Jason's not there to say no dancing. Uh, so now I will say that um, I do think that the group you mentioned, that tribe, uh, is going to tribal council. Oh, I agree. In part, mm -hmm. in part because the latest preview shows there's a large and heavy puzzle at the end of the immunity challenge, mm -hmm. and that definitely tends to favor Vokai. Yes. So, yeah. So, I don't know what's going to happen with craziness. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I don't think they're going to turn on Nora yet and I don't think Nora is going to convince uh, her, her fellow ladies to turn on Jamal so I think it's going to be straightforward I, I, I mean we had a bump in the road this past week with Vokai losing but 
I'm, I'm just going to take last week's prediction and use it again this week. I think Labor will use uh, lose immunity and vote out Dean. Oh, you think it's going to be Dean and not Karishma? Well, sure. Yeah. Um, so I went back to my 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 pages, lots of my papers here that I was telling you earlier. I spilled coffee all over, which is great. Um, but it was kind of interesting when I had to come up with my initial my initial list of who I thought was going to finish where. And of course, I'm wrong because Molly was my winner pick and she was out second. So but when I was looking back at my list, I had Vince in the right spot. So I was like, oh, look at that. And I actually had Jason being voted out last week. So I was like, oh, I wasn't too far off on Jason. So if I go on my list, I've got it should have, according to what I had for um, the week for this week that Jason got voted out, I had Kelly and then I had Missy. So maybe it's going to be Kelly. Wouldn't that be interesting? I'm just going to say Kelly. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why, but I don't know. I yeah, just feel I can't. Like... I can't think of a single reason why it would be Kelly. Well, but, I'm so bad at you this. know. We wouldn't have been able to think of reasons for most of the people this season. Yes, so. and Jason, we had no idea that that was going to happen. And just because right. of what, because of what we heard, um, because of what we heard Jeff say that I've never seen anything like this happen. Now I know Kelly has an idol, but I don't think that Kelly would think that she's in a situation where she would be getting voted out. Maybe she plays it for somebody else. I don't know, but I'll just say Kelly because I just think that's interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right. You can go with that. Uh, so you take the interesting one, very interesting one with Kelly, and I take the boring one with Dean. <laughs> and so. we'll see what happens. Right. Uh, so, all right. As we wrap up, I want to encourage people to check out the RHAP patron program by heading to robhasawebsite.com slash patron. Uh, as, as we've mentioned before, Rob does tons of things for patrons, including patron-only podcasts, first access to live shows, and discounts to live shows. Uh, people may have heard there is a live know-it-alls in Brea, which I believe is north of Los Angeles. We will unfortunately not be there. Can't make it due to work commitments. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can get discounted tickets if you're a patron. And uh, and then there's a lot more, too. Of course, there's the Facebook groups where you'll find a great community of people you can talk to about Survivor, Big Brother and more. Uh, so, again, go to robhasawebsite.com slash patron. And once you get to the Facebook groups, make sure to say hello. Uh, I think a week or two ago, someone did exactly that. They were like, hey, I'm here because of uh, what you keep saying at the end of every podcast. Aww. So hello. And, you know, so that was good. That is great. And I will say this, too. I think all of the live know-it-alls that I've gone to, the tickets are sold out to all of the patrons, like almost immediately. So if, if that's something that you're interested in attending... That's a great reason to become a patron because you get first access and you might not get a ticket if you're not a patron because they they are a very dedicated group of fans and they gobble up those tickets very quickly. So it's a great thing to be a part of. Great group of people. And if you love Survivor, you will love being part of this group. That's right. So other than uh, the Facebook groups, Jessica, how else can people contact? Us? They can follow us on Twitter. I'm Jessica Lewis 89 and you are at David Bloomberg. You should follow both of us. Then you get both sides of the story and it's much more fun when you do because there are times that Bloomberg says things, you know, to brag a little bit about his predictions Never. and yeah, you know, it's just something it's, it's entertainment at its best. And we do live tweet during the survivor episode. So you can find out 
what we're posting and what our thoughts are. So follow myself at Jessica Lewis 89 and follow David Bloomberg at David Bloomberg. That's right. And as I mentioned, you know, Jason, uh, had, you know, followed, followed me, us for a while and uh, even, you know, sent some tweets about things like uh, things that were going on uh, back at uh, Ghost Island and David versus Goliath. And then he got on Survivor. So clearly, if you follow us on Twitter, you get to be on Survivor. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's the way it works. Okay. Okay, maybe I can't promise. Yeah, I, I, maybe, I, you might I, want to reel that I, one in just a little bit. Yeah. But, but following us is a good idea. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, we've already talked about the hashtag, but as a reminder, it will be blame fishback and uh, make sure you put that on all your tweets. Uh, and of course, there's the hashtag for this podcast overall, which is YXLost. Uh, before we finish, I want to also remind everyone about the poster we discussed earlier, which covers all of the rules we just went over. Uh, you can find that at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. And if you're outside the U.S., let Jessica know and she'll work out all the details with you because we've had orders around the globe, but eBay only likes to keep it in the U.S. Yes, and it, the shipping will be a little more expensive. Poster stays the same price as $20, but we will get it figured out once I know what your address is and let you know. So it's up to you entirely if you want to do it, but I will make it happen. So if you want to order and you are outside of the United States, just yes, DM me and we'll go from there. All right. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to all the RJP Survivor podcasts at robhasapodcast.com slash Survivor or on your favorite podcatcher. We're also on the reality TV wrap-ups feed. In both places, you can find great content like the Know-It-Alls, the Wiggle Room, the B&B, and much more. Uh, as we close up shop here, thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who does the editing on all the Why Blank Lost podcasts. And thanks, as always, to Will from America for the theme song. Of course, thanks to you, Jessica, for another great episode. Uh, and, of course, for your soapbox earlier on. Yeah, I know. Thank you for letting me stand up there for a while. I apologize to the listeners for talking for quite a time, quite some time on that. But, yes, thank you as well to Scott and Will for all of the incredible work that they do. And thank you, David, for allowing me to join you every week. And like you do, and I can stand on soapboxes when I want to. So that's really <laughs> kind of you. But, yes, this is so much fun. I have a great time. And, uh, yeah, so everyone, I hope you enjoy listening and we'll be back again in a week with whoever right. is going to be voted out on Wednesday. And it's going to be Kelly because I'll be right this time. All right. All right. We will see. We'll talk to everyone in a week. Bye. Bye bye. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down, David and Jessica will turn it around. They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how. Blame yourself and got voted out. This is why Blank lost. And this is why Blank lost. Oh, baby.